Um, good to see you today. Uh, I am um, going to ask you to do something that's a little strange to start off the beginning of a sermon. I'd like for you that are sitting next to someone, and if you're not, you might turn around. <clears throat> Tell that person very quickly, are you a half full glass person or a half empty glass person? Okay? Turn around and tell them. Okay, okay, that was not a long question. I think it was not a long question. It sounds like it turned into quite a discussion. I think I just lost the uh, opportunity to lead this today. Um, the reason I ask that is, I think it tells us a lot about our personalities. Sometimes it tells us how we view life. Um, you know, when we hear people talk about challenges, or whether they talk about problems, Kind of gives me a hint of how people view life. Uh, there are a lot of things that give us hints as to whether people see this as an opportunity or really another issue to deal with. You know, it, it, it's, it, it kind of gets to your creativity uh, as to whether or not you might actually view something that you're experiencing as Another opportunity to have God work in your life and change something or do something or impact your values or your goals or whether you are just overwhelmed by that exact same environment that comes your way. And um, I think as we today look at some of the topic that we're looking at, uh, I hope it will challenge us to consider this. Honestly, when I was thinking about the title for today's message, um, I came up with multiple things. I think we finally ended up with one that sounded fairly nice. Um, but one of the ones I thought about was leaders needed. Wimps need not apply. You know, it's the truth is the church doesn't need a whole lot of fearful leaders. It does tell us a little bit whether our cup is half full or our cup is half empty. If we're negative or if we're positive. If we believe God can do great things in the life of VCBC or not. We are hitting times here in our church that, it, that sometimes make us a little uncomfortable. We don't understand all the answers. We don't know all the whys of uh, different things that have come our way. On the other hand, is it just possible that God does know? My answer is yes, by the way. I think He very much is clear of some of the struggles, but He's trying to challenge us to admit that the cup is lacking water. It's not full. 
But he's saying, don't surrender. Remember, there's still half a cup of water there. It can be filled again. There is hope. If you were to look to the person sitting next to you today, which I'm not going to ask you to do again. I've already learned. I lose that one. And you were to ask the question of yourself or ask of yourself about that person sitting next to you. Are they capable of being a leader in the church? And you turn to them and you say, I believe you're capable of being a leader in the church because. What would be some things you would say? I think you're capable of being a leader in the church because what? You're rich. You're smart. You have a degree. Or do we say because of their witness, their walk with Jesus, their being a blessing with the lives that they live, their testimony? They function as a, as a servant leader already in how they encourage others. When we think about what kind of people we want to follow, most of us don't want to follow the person that's got a cup that's half empty. We're looking for someone that's saying, there's hope. At least that's me. I call myself, and I've told you this before, an optimistic realist. And anybody that's ever tried to put those two words together understands my challenge. We want to be encouraging people. We need to step beyond ourselves. Since coming to BCBC, um, I've heard a great deal about the needs and the concerns of the church. We've had uh, different issues come. And depending on the nature of the group and the concern of the group, I've heard about focused ministries. I've heard about missions and prayer care and social concern. And I've heard about nurturing and heard about and, and the, the, the various areas with, that we already have ministry in. But we also hear a lot about the need for more pastoral care, maybe directional leadership, emotional focus for where we're going. Uh, I also have some dreams. My dream would be very much for all of those. I dream of us being a family that functions with joy, functions with purpose, functions with excitement. A little bit of optimism is a very good thing because we believe God can do it, not because we can. But yet I do recognize there are distractions because we are in a, a world of distractions. I dream of bold Leadership. Leadership that would dare to push beyond our own abilities to where we have to watch God work because we can't do it in and of ourselves. I dream of us being a healthy church. A healthy church that is fully dependent on God and is willing to do things that are not even comfortable sometimes. I even dream of health to the point that as the songs have sung and as we're aware of, mean we may have to suffer a little bit. We may have difficulties. We may have people complaining about us. But we do need to remind ourselves that our goal is not to cause trouble. Our goal is to be salt and light in a world that doesn't welcome salt and light some of the time. When you turn on the light, you see things Sometimes you don't want to see. And you make others see things they don't want to see. 
Some of us appreciate it because it challenges us to be more. Challenges us to change. Praise God for that. But there will be others in that same room when the light comes on, they'll be trying to find a way to turn it off. As a congregation, if we uh, could, I would love for us to give a list of bold leaders. If we had time, we could talk about that this morning. But the best bold leaders we all know about are people from Scripture. We can go into topics of talking about Moses and Daniel and David. We can talk about Micah. We can talk about John and James and Philip and and even Stephen, who gave all that he could possibly give as he was crucified before his faith. He was stoned. This is a man, he, he knew what it was like to be, to pay the price for his faith. Bold leadership. The question is, do we really dare to be bold leaders? The people in the Scripture... We're not timid or fearful leaders. Why were they so strong? Not every one of those walked with Jesus. Some of those lived before Christ was even born. But they followed God in every bit of who they were, no matter where it took them. It took them down difficult paths. They struggled. You know, we're not the first ones to have challenges. Others have been there. Before us. Did they work out of fear or did they work out of expectation? When we talk about leadership, we, we go into situations that we don't have the answer all settled for. It's sometimes uncomfortable to not have the answer. But that doesn't mean we should be fearful. Fearful is a different issue entirely. The leaders that I see in the Scripture nearly always were looking with expectation that God was God. And just the mere fact that He was God was enough for them to say, I don't know where it's going to go, but we're going to follow and we'll see. They didn't say, oh boy, this is going to be an exciting time, but at the same time, they knew this is going to be interesting. They knew there was something that was going to be protected and handled. Now, the word protection, I think, is a fascinating word also. We often think about the word protection and security, and we think about those as things that keep us from having difficult experiences. And yet, you know and I know exactly what Christ had to go through in his life. And yet, he was protected and he was secure. So, comfortable life and security and protection don't always go exactly together. When I was 16, uh, many moons ago, as you might add, uh, I was in a youth group in a church, and I remember they brought a book that was called Are You For Real? Now, the name alone was fun, fun for me. I was very interested. What does it mean, are you for real? Of course I'm for real. Well, what I thought it meant and what it was were two different things. But the book challenged me in many, many ways because it, it asked questions in a way 
that I had never seen before at that stage of my life. The way the questions were designed, it would give situations. For example, you're driving down the road and you're driving in a car and the car pulls in front of you and then you slam on your brakes and you hit the car anyway, but it only bumps it and then you have a good opportunity to take a left and drive away and avoid telling the police or anyone. So you could get away from it. The question is, what do you do as a Christian? Ethically, what's right? And so it would challenge people with situations and then say, are you for real? Are you really what you say you are? Are you consistent? Are you completely honest as a Christian? You know, I've, I remember young, uh, many years ago, a lot of people wore these little bands that said, what would Jesus do? You know, the, the, the truth is, that's pretty good theology. It kind of reminds you, every time you get into a situation, I'm not here alone. I am a Christian. My testimony is important. People are watching. I am watching. God is watching. I know that I need to make the right decision because the values and morals and ideals and purpose of why I'm here in this world is to walk with Christ from the inside out. And so I need to make decisions and ask myself, what would Jesus do? Not so much that just other people can see it, but that I can live with what the decisions are that I make. The question, are you for real? I was reminded that Jesus was not just a religious guy of history, but was and is a mentor of strength and fearlessness. The problem is, when we are fearless, which Christians need to learn to be, we need not fear that we make right decisions today, that we make right decisions tomorrow. But we do need to be willing to make the decision that we truly believe God wants us to make and then move forward with boldness and expectation that God knows our hearts and knows we're walking with Him, and that He will bless us. And as we do that, God will place His blessing on our lives because we dare to depend on Him. But we must be willing to pay a price. See, this is one of the things. Our society has developed a lot of Christians that don't want to pay the price in life. The point is, for Christians to make right decisions means we may very well receive more criticism. We may have pressure. We may have more problems. When we stand up and say, this action or that action is right or wrong, or sin or not sin, you're going to receive some people that don't like what you said. The question for us is, am I prepared? If we think that we can accept Christ, become a Christian, and follow Christ, and not be prepared for that kind of reality, we're preparing not to be real Christians. Today, I want us to think about both ourselves as individuals and then ourselves as the church. As individuals, the kind of person that I've just described is what we can call an imitation Christian or a knockoff Christian. You know, I have a friend of mine, uh, his name is Jian Yangqing, he's a pastor pastors in the United States, but Jiang Qing was a professor at University of Kansas uh, Kansas City 
in Missouri. He now has retired from his teaching, but he's a pastor of a church there. But Jian Ching and I were talking one day, and he was talking about his son who had just come back from China. And his son was showing off his new Rolex. He got it in Hong Kong, of course. And uh, his father, this was a number of years ago. But his father at that point really struggled with it. And his dad, for some reason, and I'm not going to try to figure out the reasons, and I'm not going into the story, because I never had the issue. He got the watch from his son. He looked at it. He said, son, is this an imitation? Is this a knockoff? Or is this the real thing? And the son said, of course, it's a knockoff, Dad. I paid 20 U.S. dollars for it or whatever, you know, at that point. And his father got the, the watch, put it down, got a hammer and smashed it. Oh, the guy, the son just died. Now, by the way, the son is now a minister also. But the son was just so furious. He would just, oh, you've got to be kidding. I carried it all the way back from home. I was going to show that off at school all day long. Now, look at me. The dad said, you know, just, with, just like our Christian faith is, uh, that watch has the same challenge. We have either true Christians or you have imitation Christians. Now, one costs a lot more. You know, to be a follower of Christ is an expensive proposition. In fact, there's something we talk about in seminary called cheap grace. We have that discussion quite often. And we talk about how we do ministry in our churches, and we try to get people to make decisions for Christ, and we encourage people, because, you know, any minister that's worth his while is concerned for the lost souls of, of men. So evangelism is built into who we are. But it doesn't mean we do it at all at any cost. So when we talk about cheap grace, it means we're basically pushing people quickly to make a decision without a responsible understanding. Accepting Christ without knowledge and understanding is not really accepting. On the other hand, another danger within imitation Christians or knockoff Christians, and I fear this is even a stronger problem, is that we have people who have all the knowledge, but internally do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. They know how to answer the questions correctly. They've memorized what's needed. They've taken the test. In Hong Kong, we have something called Mansumsi, asking heart questions before a person can be baptized. You go in, you talk to the deacons, and the deacons sit there and scare you to death. They don't do it intentionally. But it makes people nervous. And they ask these questions about Jesus. And you're supposed to have already studied and you've memorized this little basic theology and preparation for the questions. And you pass the test and you walk off and you say, yay, I passed the test. But nowhere in there is there a guarantee, there can't be, that that person knows Christ in their heart as their Savior and their Lord. You know, our, that, that is a personal relationship. It's possible, all too easy for people, to imitate what they think a Christian should be. And unfortunately, our churches, if we're not careful, we run a great risk of training people how to imitate what Christians are to be. 
And indeed, how do we even know what Christians are to be? You know, Jesus was not fearful of meeting a prostitute and sitting down and talking with one. He wouldn't have been fearful today to go into a bar and talk to anyone here. He wasn't fearful of coming in contact with people. But we have our boxes we feel safe in. And we say, oh, he's a fine Christian. Why? Because he's the church building every day. Does that really guarantee that we know Christ intimately? Oh, he studies the Bible. He, he memorizes all of his scriptures. Now, do not misunderstand. Memorizing Scripture is a good thing. But it's a balance issue. We go back to Chinese thinking, the issue of the balance. There is a balance between what we know and who we are. Our identity. The gospel is not just fact. If you'll remember in the Scripture, in Matthew twenty-five eleven, there were some virgins that were there, and they turned and they said, Lord, Lord! And Christ turned to them and said, I don't even know you. See, they knew the right word. Lord, Lord, hmm, sounds pretty good. Addressing me correctly, I've got the right position, everything. But no, I don't even know you. You know, the vocabulary, what we studied has to have some depth behind what it is. We do not as a church desire to leave people either feeling like they're imitation Christians or being tricked into thinking that imitation Christianity is all there is. One of my greatest fears is that we inoculate non-Christians into believing they're Christians because of their knowledge. Or because of their actions. Brothers and sisters, our walk with Christ is personal. But it truly is at the point that we need to be asking, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Where do I get this job? What kind of decisions do I make? Who are my friends? And it needs to be connected to what would Jesus want me to be about in this situation? Whether the people are knockoff Christians because the church has inadequately trained, or whether the individual has chosen to only accept a certain percentage of the commitment that is required to be a true Christian. See, commitment is everything in walking with Christ. You can't be a true follower of Jesus and be what's called a Sunday Christian. Coming to church is good. But if this is what you think Christianity is, it's bad. Coming and sitting in the pew is good, but it's not all there is. The real question is, what kind of a person are you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Do people know when they meet you there's something different about you? Not saying you're strange. Just something different in that your walk with Christ is real. Again, the question, are you for real? Only you know. We could have baptized you in our church, but I don't know if you're real or not. We talk about repenting, changing our will. 
reinventing ourselves as we confess before God that we know we do things wrong. We know that we have not adequately respected Him. We know that in the past we never allowed Him to be our Lord. We, if you will, we sin. All of that is good, but only you know whether you've ever truly repented before the Lord. If the subject of today's sermon on leadership seems a little strange at this point because I'm talking about all of these things about being for real, I want you to understand. The reason the emphasis starts here is because we don't need leadership that are just playing a game. I want people that influence my life because they really, not because they're supposed to, but they really love me. They really care about me. They're burdened for me walking with Jesus. They're willing to help me. They give me extra time, not because it gives them extra points on some kind of a chart for what they've done, but they love me because they know that Jesus loves me. And they want to love me in His name. I want those kind of leaders that teach me, that are good in the book of of, of, of the Father, that truly with the Bible being their, their source for values and morals and ethics and teachings, that they can that can value it highly, use it and present it as His truth. They respect the Word of God. But more than just have it memorized, that they live the Word of God. That for them, that intimate, close, walking relationship with Jesus daily is more important to them than anything. That's the kind of leader I want. Our church deserves those kind of leaders. Now, let me, lest you fear, I will tell you now, there's not one of us in this room that really is worthy of being that kind of leader. We're all sinners. Every one of us. Welcome to my world. We're not perfect. We confess that. But we need people who seek, who hunger. And this song that was we sang a little while ago, it's hungering hard after Him. It's a good challenge. question is, do we dare? Last Thursday evening, I went uh, at the blessing of one of our brothers and sisters here that uh, invited us to a, a meeting, something called Lighthouse Harbor Ministry. Going to this uh, uh, meeting, uh, I didn't quite know what to expect, but I thought, well, this will be interesting. Uh, Getting to the meeting, a guy walked up to me that I had not seen, after a little while I thought about it a little bit more, in about 35 years. He was a friend from Macau from many years ago. And he walked up and started talking. And I looked at him and he, and he, I mean, he knew who I was, so he obviously had found me. But I looked at him and I kept trying to look through that face and find the guy I knew. My brain was working on, okay, somewhere in there is this guy that I know. But I don't know where. And then finally it turned on. I'd known him in Macau. 
At the time that I knew him, I would have to say he was a knockoff Christian. The good news is, knockoff Christians still have hope. Still have hope. You can be an imitation at one time in your life, and God can still change you if you'll allow yourself to change. And he is now working as a minister in the city of Vancouver. Who would have ever thought 35-year gap that I would find him here as a co-worker in Christ? So our personal walk helps us to know what kind of leadership we are. VCBC, as a church, a family church, the church is the body of Christians put together serving God. We are a community. We're a family. The role is to encouraging is to encourage people. But do we encourage people to walk in Christ or to know about Christ? You know, we've got to remember the book of James 2.19. It says very clearly that Satan's little friends, the demons, also know about Christ. And they tremble. You know, knowing about Him, knowing His name... Knowing the word Lord, Lord, like the virgins that we talked about in Matthew, is still not enough. You can memorize, you can look the part, but only you know. Am I true? There was a movie, in fact, many times, uh, many years ago that was made in Taiwan. It said, Jaru Sujenda. Dayu Ngo Hai Jenge. It was, it, and the English name, I have no idea, but something about if, if I were only real. The same question. Are you for real? Brothers and sisters, I push this today because I believe this church, we are ready for growth. I am not willing to live in the past. I know we've been through some difficult days, but I see people here that are ready to serve. The question is, do we dare lead? Do we dare function as a glass that's half full instead of a glass that's half empty? The church that God wants to bless is one that's bold and works with expectancy. It's hard for Him to look at a church that is struggling with its own fears of of its own difficulties and its struggles. Knowledge of the Scripture, important. Being a servant leader is vital. You may not know as much as the person sitting next to you as far as the Scripture is concerned. I love Chinese where we say, man, man, like, man, man, like. Just slowly it'll come. Give yourself some time. Hang in there. You will grow. You will learn. But step forward and watch God put His hand on your life and you'll watch things happen. You'll make mistakes. But God needs you to be bold. Carl Hunker, a friend of mine who is now 95. Carl worked in China and in Taiwan as a missionary until he was 65 years of age. He was the president of the Taiwan Baptist Seminary. He returned to the United States, and now he's been living in Kansas, where he, for the last, well, basically for the last 30 years, has continued working in a church there. In essence, what I'm saying is this man who is 95 has gotten in two full careers in his life. 
I talked to him about it one time, and we both agreed. Scripture doesn't teach retirement. Scripture talks about consistency of walk. And I know the lives of people today is shorter than it was in Scripture because we've got all kinds of examples of people living many, many more years than we normally do today. But the question is, what do we do with the time we have? Whether you die young, you die old, you will die. It will happen to all of us in this room. The question is, how do we use the lives that we've been given? Carl has chosen to do two full ministries in his life. Old can be blessed and be used. Young can be blessed and be used. Dan was 15. A good friend of mine started at 15 preaching regularly. Where did he preach? Senior citizens' home. Same experience I had. Going and preaching in a senior citizen's home, I'm not even trying to describe the issue of the quality of what we preached. I'm only saying that at 15 years of old, we believe that God could use us. And you'd go into these senior citizens' homes and preach, and the people there believed that God could use you. And we opened the Bible, and we didn't have to worry about it, because once you open the Bible, the Bible preaches itself. The Bible is God's Word. Dan started at 15. Today, Dan is almost 60. The thing I say to you is, don't look down on your youth. If you are young and you want to be used in our church, there are no excuses for saying, I have to wait until I'm some certain age. If we're older, God always appreciates our wisdom and experience. If you're in the middle... Boy, you got it made. You got years to go and paths to go. But then again, yeah, the warning I give you is Carl Hunker. He is going to ninety five, so he's got a long ministry ahead of you. But the point the point is still the same. We've got to be available to God. And our church needs leadership. The question is, do we have it? Do we have to wait for it to come into our church? My answer is no. We have the people here. But we need people knocking on the door saying, I'm willing, let me know how I can serve. You know, Jesus was the center of the New Testament worship. We talked about worship several weeks ago, talking about Old Testament worship and New Testament worship. And Christ was always at the center of their worship. If Christ is the center of our worship here, our church is for real. We don't want to be guilty of playing church. We do want to be guilty of being church. It really doesn't matter what last week was like for us as far as our Christian health is concerned. What matters for us right now is, what is the health of our church today? We've had struggles. Everybody has struggles. But God's got a plan. God's got a vision for our church. He wants us to be significant with salt and light. He has already blessed us in so many ways. Book of Ephesians, or book of um, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, deals with the Ephesian church. Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7, says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he, 
that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walked in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them uh, which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and my name's sake uh, has labored, and has not fainted. The point is, it's emphasizing in that particular church, God saying, I see your strength. This is Christ saying, I see the strength, I see the patience, I see the work, I see all the good things. At that point, if you close the book, you walk off saying, wow, not bad. Not bad, but the problem is it goes on. Nevertheless, have I... Somewhat against you, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. Those were a cult group that were there at the time. He that hath an ear, and let him hear what is the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The point there being, the Scripture teaches very clearly, remember, look back, understand, evaluate, if you will. Look at your situation, look at the realities of what we've been through. And then it goes ahead and says, now as a church... I know you've done some good things. This is good. Praise God. Now, I'm not saying this church is us. This church is not necessarily us. But I'm saying that there's certainly a warning in here. We've got to look at the Scripture for how it challenges us, for how it warns us. Not that every one of the sentences necessarily is our situation, but it's warning them and it says, remember, evaluate, look, and if there's an issue, repent. And then return. So once you've repented, there is still hope. Being a knockoff Christian in our society today is not the need for our society to see BCBC. We don't need people to see us just as being religious. What will you do with Jesus as an individual and as a church? Indoctrination... If that's all it becomes, is dangerous. You know, our Bible studies are good. If we can learn how to be decision makers based on the morals and the values that we gain from that. But if all we're learning is open your mouth, feed, 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 like some ducks in China, where we jam the food in. And then, of course, later we eat the ducks, so we go with that. But the point being, if there, when we talk about indoctrination... So often, it's without this thing thinking. The Father created us as thinking beings. He wanted us to be able to reason. That means we get into meetings, we get into... Everybody has an idea. Everybody has a perspective. If we dream of being a mission-minded church, we must expect it will only come from a deep burden of changed values and hunger to be want, be used once we seek to be His servant leaders. Uh, our Christian DNA is what I'm challenging us about today.
as a church and as a people? Do we dare to walk and serve the Lord with His hands holding us and directing us? Our church, if we are dependent, if our DNA, the internal identity of who we are, is intimate with Christ, not an imitation of a relationship with Christ, we will never lack for healthy leaders. And that's what we're asking for from our Father, even this day. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you as sinners. Uh, weak. We are people who make mistakes. We have struggles. We are certainly by no means uh, what we would think of as uh, an ideal mentor for anyone. And yet, God, we thank you that your hand is on our lives. We thank you that as individual Christians, we believe you have called us to serve you. Father, in the same way, we believe You've called VCBC to serve You. Father, help us to be not knockoffs, not imitators, but help us to be real Christians. Help us to be bold Christians that are willing to attempt leadership in Your name because we are dependent on You for the things that we make, uh, decisions regarding, as well as we make ourselves available watching You uh, do miraculous things in our midst. Father, we would pray that servant leadership would be the heartbeat of our church. That people would see us as a body that would be welcoming, and loving and caring and welcoming of uh, non-Christians also to come and visit us as we uh, uh, have You leading and directing us each and every day. In Jesus' name.